Jack Spiergo with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is June 18, 2013. This is episode 1151 of the Survival Podcast. It'll be fun and a little bit crazy because I have, uh, I don't know, the two people that Dorothy and I, I think, love to hang out with the most as infrequently as that happens. We really have fun with them. Uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy from doomandbloom.net, who are releasing today on the air, uh, first place ever, the Survival Medic Medicine Handbook, second edition, revised, expanded, amazing. And uh, they'll be uh, they'll be on with me in just a moment. Let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today is the Free State Project. Now, the Free State Project isn't actually a sponsor. It's more like I sponsor them. What do you mean by that, Jack? That doesn't make any sense. You sponsor that. Yeah, see, here's the deal. Like, I have these limited spaces that I give out to sponsors who pay to be on the show. And then I decided two years ago that I was so impressed with the work that the Free State Project was doing that I would uh, basically give them a spot for free. And then this year, I thought about giving it to somebody else and decided I would give them another year. So the Free State Project is a group of people that got together starting about 10 years ago with the goal of moving 20,000 people to the state of New Hampshire to help transfer New Hampshire into the freest state in the union. Several thousand of them are already there. Uh, more than 10,000 have pledged. And when they hit the 20,000 number, that's the trigger event for the move. That's where everybody that's pledged gets off the stick and gets up there. So check them out today at freestateproject.org. Uh, they are a great group of people. And even if it's not in the car, For you to move to New Hampshire, you can still help them with the work that they're doing. I'm not going to New Hampshire, but I support them this way. Remember, a fight for liberty anywhere is a fight for liberty everywhere. Next up today, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. Now, what are you going to get from the Berkey guy? It might strike you, you know, crazy, but you're going to get Berkey water filtration systems from the Berkey guy. So. I think most people in, in the industry know that if you want a great water filtration system, one that can't fail because it has no moving parts, works by gravity, will work grid up, grid down, left, sideways, anyway. Uh, it's just going to work as long as you set it up right and put, dump water in the top and get it out the bottom. Yeah, I mean, it's that easy. You can't mess it up. The Berkey's a great place to go. And if you want water that's really clean and fresh and the best water you could be drinking on any daily basis uh, or in a survival situation, Berkey's the way to go. And if you want something that looks really nice, stainless steel, beautiful, something you wouldn't mind having anywhere in your home on display, well, Berkey's the way to go. But why go to the Berkey guy? Well, because you can, because he's the Berkey guy. Why would you go to the, the non-Berkey guy? That just doesn't make any sense at all. Seriously, though, Jeff has great deals on Berkey's, excellent customer service. I would call the man fanatical about customer service uh, beyond actual all comprehension. He's the kind of sponsor that you dream about having because he's such a dedicated person taking care of his customers. And at his website, which is Directive21, Directive21, that's the numbers 2N1, Directive21.com, uh, you will find not just Berkey's but other great stuff for your self-sufficiency walk. Check him out today, Directive21.com, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason. Next up, I want to remind you guys about the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. I just ran a sale on that, so I assume that orders will be light this week. But seriously, if you didn't get it on the sale, it's still a great deal. Uh, just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members, Military and Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty and Prior Service, and First Responders like Paramedics, EMTs, and Firefighters. All of you guys qualify for a service discount. Just email me with service discount in the subject line before you join. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did if you're prior service. 
and uh, I will uh, get you uh, back a discount code that will make uh, it a great a great deal even better. All right, with that wrapped up, I'm about ready to bring on Bones and Amy. Before I do, I want to say a few things about yesterday, canceling the show, what's been going on with Dorothy, etc. First of all, like 40 of you guys commented, said basically, you know, tell Dorothy get well soon. I can't tell you how how much that means that you guys care, uh, not just about you know the show, but about our family. And we really appreciate that. As far as what's been going on, she got sick Friday night uh, in bed, really. Thursday she had like a bout with it, but it seemed like it was one of those things that come and go. And then Friday, I mean, she's just been flat on her back. Um, and Sunday, so Sunday, she's like, yeah, I got to go to the doctor. So we went down to a care now, and they were amazing. They were great uh, on follow-up and, and diagnosis and everything. They did a good job. They wanted her to have a, a scan in case there was a problem with her gallbladder because she was having pain in that area. She had that. It showed up really nothing um, of any concern. They think it was a kidney infection, bacterial, so they gave her a shot in the ass one day of one antibiotic and a shot in the ass the next day of a second antibiotic. They've got her on oral antibiotics. Uh, her white blood cell count was sky high. Uh, it's come down uh, significantly since they began the antibiotics. And I'm taking her back to the doc tomorrow just to, for a follow-up. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just one of those things that happens. But she was running a fever over 103, close to 104 degrees sometimes, uh, shivering one minute and then a fever the next and uh, just completely taken out. So I had to really take care of her. And do all the things around here I usually do, plus all the things that she usually does. And I'm not really good at the things that she usually does. So on top of that, the power went out yesterday, which wasn't really a big deal. I had the generator out, fired it up, put a portable air conditioner in her room. Uh, so that, you know, when we got, we had to go to the doctor anyway, went to the docks, came back, air, air, had the room all cooled down. Power came back on not too late in the day, but. With that going on, I just wasn't able to do a show. Plus, the power being out made it not impossible to do a show, but it uh, came along with what you would call collateral utility damage. Uh, there was no Internet anyway. So even though I have backup systems and I could have recorded everything you're hearing right now and spliced in everything and gotten Joe's and Amy's show ready to go yesterday, because that was the plan, actually, because yesterday was actually the release date. This is the official release date now, though. Um, the problem would have been I couldn't have got it uploaded. I guess I could have went down to a Starbucks or something and done that, but not with everything that was going on. So uh, it wasn't that we were incapable. It's just that there were priorities yesterday around taking care of the woman. Because if mama ain't happy, trust me, I ain't happy. That's just the way it works around here. But seriously, guys, thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, your, your kind words uh, to Dorothy. On, on what happened... I'm really not sure what happened. Normally, I would have went hunting for the problem uh, just to see because I, I like to figure it out. But I just, you know, was occupied other ways yesterday. But it was definitely to my north. Those of you guys that have been to the property kind of can see that in your head back behind all those woods behind our property. I heard an explosion that was like a loud thundering, you know, thunderclap, really. One of those ones that like, you know, you feel it. You don't just hear it. But I knew it wasn't actually thunder because the storm was far to the east by this time it was actually clear skies overhead and to our and to our uh, west and it came from a little bit west and, and directly north so kind of up those so a transformer exploded and it must have really exploded because it clearly took out the other utilities that were on the pole with it because phone lines were down and so was uh, internets or uh, cable uh, cable TV, which is what our internet's on. So the cable, uh, the phone, and the uh, electric all went with one loud bang. 
Um, so it was a significant bang. Um, and I've not seen many of those smaller transformers really blow up that big before, but apparently that's what happened. That's my best guess. Anyway, uh, so that's what went on yesterday. That's why there was no show yesterday, and uh, that's why you're hearing Bones and Amy a day late. And with that, uh, hey, Joe, Amy, man, guys, welcome back to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, ditto, man. It is awesome to be back on your podcast. I think you've had more coffee than I've yeah, had. Yeah, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm on my first cup. Yeah. I'm on my second cup. I'm going to have to get Dorothy to bring me one while we're on the air. We're doing this uh, early morning, folks. I worked Joe and Amy in today um, because they have some really big news, and I, I guess we'll get right to it. Um, and, and let folks know what's going on, because this is the first place anybody's going to hear about it. Yes, it is. Yeah, not only is the first place Wait, that you we, hear about it, but... we have a drum roll? Yeah. <laughs> but we are, at, we are actually going to launch this book on the day that, Jack, that whatever day that you decide to put this on the air. It'll be Monday. Monday. It's Monday morning. Yeah. Monday morning. Oh, okay, good. It's Monday morning. It's not Monday morning for us, folks. That's why we're confused. That's going to be Monday the seventeenth, just so you guys know. But so you got you got a new book coming out. Um, you showed it to me over Skype video before we got started. It looks like I could beat somebody to death with it. Um, but it is a second edition of the book you already put out. So what what makes this one new? I mean, how did it how did it get up to like you know uh, weaponized uh, uh, dimensions at, at this point where you could probably beat a small uh, a small animal to death with it fairly easily. Yes, it's good for rat control. Well, I've got to tell you, this book originally in in its if it was its were the same size as the first edition, this book would have been six hundred and thirty two pages. But we managed uh-huh. to get it below six hundred uh, pages, probably about five seventy five seventy five. Uh, by increasing the size of the book just a, just a half inch, which was half inch by half inch, which was a good thing. But let me tell you about the second edition. The second so wait, so it's still portable, just so everybody knows. Yes. You can still okay. throw it in your bug out bag. You can still put it in your medical bag. Uh, we didn't want. I don't need an appliance it. dolly for it or anything. No, no, no. It's, but it, I could it, use it, it as a deadfall weight on a trap. Okay, that's. It does, it, I, I will <laughs> yeah. admit that it does weigh exactly two pounds. So if okay. you can handle. Two pounds two in pounds. your bag. I weighed it yesterday. If you can handle two pounds in your bag, then you will have lots and lots of knowledge. But our goal here is to basically give the survival and the preparedness community a reference book yes. that is going to be specifically for them that deals with issues relating to no doctor, no hospital, and you are now the end of the line. And so that's it. We want this to be the essential reference, medical reference, period, for the preparedness community. So, so what's new, honey? All right, I'm going to interview you. Jack, right. he's not answering your question. All right. All right so what's new in your book today? Well, the second edition <laughs> covers a lot more issues than the first book. It covers uh, every subject that we, we talk about. Every chapter is revised it's amended in some way some of it's a little some of it's a lot we have new topics the new topics include some hardcore things uh like tracheotomy we talk about amputation we talk about mat you know what i added right at the end uh, given uh all these mass casualty incidents that we've been going through to boston yeah. tragedy things like that i decided to add a full uh chapter on 
the mass casualty incident. Right, and what triage. Happens, right, and what happens if you're the first person right. to arrive at the scene, you've got limited supplies, how you can figure out priorities of who's going to uh, need the most care and who is savable, who is not savable, and how you can get through that. Uh, we talk about differential diagnosis. That means that you can identifying one medical condition from a similar medical condition. For example, uh, the chapter on appendicitis now tells you how to identify appendicitis, not only tells you how to identify appendicitis, but how to tell it from, let's say, a ruptured ovarian cyst, from a diverticulosis or other intestinal ailment. I'm going to take a stab at this one. If if my patient is male, it's not a ruptured ovarian cyst. <laughs> but it could be a, a ruptured <laughs> <laughs> could be could be a ruptured left nut though. Shut up. Oh, oh, oh! I'm not supposed to say that on. Radio. I don't know. Oh, wait, you can say whatever right. you want on my show. This is this show is listened to by some children, but under parental discretion advisement. So it's right. It's Jack's show. He can say whatever he wants. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's cool, though. I mean, I think that there probably is a big need for people to start thinking about the match casualty thing. Um, yeah, any illusion that it couldn't happen in America should have been gone a long time ago, but this latest incident is yet another reminder. Um, one thing I keep saying about making sure you have medical training to go along with your, you know, your weapons training is if you're ever anywhere where you have to deploy your weapon, when you're done, there's probably somebody that's going to be hurt, hopefully not you. Um, but in many instances, uh, when a citizen does use a weapon to stop an attack, by the time they do that, other people have been injured. So people always say when there's a shooting or something, well, one armed citizen could have saved, you know, how many lives? And, and my, my response is yes, and how many lives could two or three people that knew basic medical triage and first aid have saved while we were waiting for responders? Exactly, because a citizen is not going to shoot a shooter unless he's already begun to shoot. You, Correct. You, you see somebody with a gun in the air, you don't just naturally shoot them. He's already caused some damage. So it's absolutely necessary for the people who have some medical training uh, to understand triage. And who do you go to first? Right. And first aid books won't say this type of thing. They just assume that your your encounter with a victim or a patient is going to be a one to one right, thing. Right. A single. Yeah. And it doesn't always. It's not always going to be like that, especially in a lot of the scenarios that we in the preparedness community are concerned about. Right. And just to let you know, Jack. We were just in Santa Monica. I'm sure you heard of that incident. We were on Pico. The road had happened 15 minutes before that guy started shooting. And you know what? I was looking up at the sky. I was looking at the buildings. Our windows were down. It was like 68 degrees, a beautiful, breezy day, something we, don't, something we don't get down here in South Florida. And we're just driving around. We had a casual day that we had to drive our 100-mile drive up to Bakersfield for the expo. And we were, we had our guard down. The last thing I was thinking is some guy was going to walk up on the street and start shooting at us. So, yeah, this the reason my I'm saying this is twofold. First of all, you never know when you're going to come about upon a bunch of victims, and second of all, don't let your situational awareness down. Right, this guy Correct. ever. Ever. He just shot into cars that were waiting Sitting at a, a parking at, yeah, a, light. a red light or something. Yeah. So. Anyway, yeah, I mean, it can be it can be an act of ter terrorism or, or murder. It can also just be an act of nature. You, you mentioned California. It makes me think way back to the 80s when that earthquake hit where the one 
overpass fell down onto the other, the, the byway where it was like, two, like a mile yeah. of highway fell onto it. And the, right. the people that first went in there were not paramedics and cops and firefighters and stuff like that. It was normal citizens and all the traffic was stopping. People just started grabbing ladders off like contractors' trucks and shit and yep. climbing up in there and pulling people out. And I remember that. That's vividly. a great story of, you know, people helping each other. But when you get in there and a the guy's got half his foot twisted around backwards and a bone sticking out, you know, you, you got to make a decision. Do I move the guy? Do I, you know, and I think a lot of people would have a hard time knowing what to do. So the type of thing you're talking about is very important. Right. And, and basically, it's a matter of making very quick decisions on who gets your attention first. If you're sitting or you're standing in front of 10 victims, um, we go through a quick assessment of every single one of those so you can help the person who needs it the most, the first, first time. Um, so it's just triage. It, it's just training, and it's very simple things to learn. It's not very complicated. There's only a few things that you're looking at before you're moving to the next person. So it is something um, that anyone without medical training can can teach themselves. Right. You're doing uh, respirations. You're doing uh, a perfusion or circulation. You're checking uh, whether the person has good circulation, and you're checking the person's mental status, and that determines whether they get green tagged, yellow tagged, red tagged, or or black tagged. So so there's a there's a very simple system. You could probably do ten people in a matter you know in less than ten minutes uh, and identify who needs help first, who can wait, and who is beyond who, who is beyond help uh, in that situation. And, we talk that, about more, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Now I was going to say, you know, in, in, in you know, in, in a lot of these scenarios, we're talking about kind of a emergency medicine, right? So a, a building has collapsed, somebody's been shot, somebody's coming, and you're trying to get that person to basically live long enough for a pro to take over. Um, but your book and your work is written a lot more from the standpoint of not emergency medicine. But survival medicine, so could I'll let you guys fight over who goes first, could kind of get both of you guys your take on the difference between emergency medicine and survival medicine. All right, well, there are a lot of excellent medical books or and first aid books related to uh, routine emergency medicine. Let's face it, Red Cross puts it out, uh, the emergency physicians uh, uh, college puts one out. And, and they're intended to aid you in managing emergency situations during a or after a storm or or other short-term disasters. And, and all of the, these books have reasonable, effective strategies. You know, of course, you you can expect that the rescue helicopter is on the way. But you know, what's your? Let's talk about what the difference is between emergency and survival medicine. Emergency, it's your goal. I mean, your goal in a regular emergency. In modern times, when there's modern medicine, you want to evaluate, you want to stabilize and transport. You want to evaluate the injured or the ill individual. You want to stabilize their condition. You want to transport them to the nearest modern hospital, the next highest medical resource. You know, this all makes, in modern times, this makes absolutely perfect sense. I mean, you're not a physician. Somewhere there's going to be facilities that have more technology that you have uh, in your pocket or in, in a backpack. I mean, your priority, get the patient out of immediate danger, ship them off, and then you can go on and continue on, I don't know, your wilderness hike or, or basically whatever it is you happen to be doing. Uh, because you have sent it to that person to the next highest 
medical resource. You know, it could be difficult to do, but you still have the luxury of passing the buck to those people who have more knowledge, technology at, uh, at their fingertips, and of course, supplies. You know, you're not a medical professional, but you. And, I mean, even our even our trained responders work that way. The EMT paramedics get the guy to the hospital; they're done. They just want to. So we try to make it so that the person can make it that far. Then they try to make it so that they can make it till they hand them off to a doctor right. or surgeon like yourself, and 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 we're done then because there's people that know how to deal with that. And if the guy in the OR can't save them, there's nothing could have been done anyway. Exactly, and, 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 and even further after the OR, then they're going probably to the ICU nursing floor. Or, yeah, right, the nursing floor, and then they're getting you know bed baths, and they're getting their linens changed while they're in bed, and they're getting medicines, and their dressings are being changed in a you know clean environment a couple times a day, and until they they get better, and basically, then they go home. Basically, we are over specialized and. I forget a famous science fiction writer uh, said once said that specialization is for insects. Correct. Like, but you know what? There's got to come a time, or I hope not, but there may come a time when uh, a pandemic, uh, severe s- civil unrest, uh, terrorist events, things like that might precipitate. You know, some kind of situation where you know modern medicine is just not going to be available. Not only not available, but to the point that the potential for access to Modern facilities, doctors, things like that may no longer exist. And in that scenario, you've got, of course, more risk for being injured or being ill than, let's say, on your regular old hike on the woods. But you're not going to have any hope of obtaining that more advanced care than whatever you can provide. You know what that means? That you are going to be the end of the line when it comes to the medical well-being of yourself, of your family, of your loved ones, of your survival community or mutual assistance group. And you have to realize that this can happen now, not just because the, not because the end of the world has occurred necessarily, but something can have happened. Uh, let's say, look at Hurricane Katrina. I mean, you have your paramedics, your emergency rescue personnel. I mean, some of those people became victims of the storm themselves. Uh, they were all of them were overlo- overwhelmed by the patient load, yeah. and uh, and a number and of them, a number of them decided to put their family first. I mean, right, and they, they couldn't get around either. You've got a flood. How yeah. are you supposed to drive through a flood? Hold you on, where's where's the boat loading. in the back of this ambulance? How do right. we? You know, doesn't the the hook and ladder truck have a boat on it? I mean, that that that's true. Let me real quick read that quote. It's Robert Heinlein. And it's out of one of his books. And here's the quote, because this will be great for setting the stage going forward and what you're talking about. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. There you go. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. And so being the jack of all trades (laughs) is what people in the preparedness community are trying to do. We're trying to learn a lot of different skills. Hopefully people are enjoying this. I know we are enjoying this, you know, learning about gardening, about herbal medicine, about alternative energy. And, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, We really enjoy learning about um Thinking outside the box, and, and again, that's what the book is about. 
we don't have the nice, clean, sterile or, or antiseptic area in the hospital. We now have to deal with stuff um, maybe in a dirty situation. Maybe the patient hasn't bathed in a while. I mean, there's there's so many um, chinks that are going to be thrown at us that we're going to have to figure out how to deal with. Um, I was teaching someone how to suture on Saturday, on Sunday, and we had the pig's foot, and the pig's foot was, I'll admit, a little old because she couldn't do it the day before. Okay. So I had it, I had it on ice, but you know, it was was a you're not supposed to defrost pig's feet it for two days. It was funky, man. It was a little funky. It was okay. a funky foot. Okay. Funky. Yeah. So we're we're suturing now. We're in a building, but all the windows are all the doors are open because there's no air conditioning in this place, and it's 108 degrees, by the way. There are flies flying on the pig's foot while we're yep. trying to suture it. And I said to her, I said, you know, this is kind of the way it might be if we were in the woods. There might be ants crawling across your, your little clean area where you have your, your suture and you would put your gloves and, and your instruments. There could be, you know, flies flying around or snakes crawling around. So, you know, because she was getting grossed out over the fly. And I said, you, you have to learn to deal with this stuff. These you're are the out over a fly. Thing. You're in real trouble if the shit is too bad because the flies was, will be the least of your worries. Exactly, and it, you know it was the fly flying into the the, the laceration. <laughs> it was yeah. kind of like, eh. and on her, it was mm. flying on her, landing on her arm too. But I said, you know, you, you have to endure these things because you're trying to help a patient. And that was just one tiny little thing. I said, can you imagine if it was raining, um, if there were storms, if you were out outside in this 108-degree weather, which felt like your skin was cooked in like two minutes walking out there. Um, you know, you may have to help somebody in an environment that is just not perfectly air-conditioned right. and clean. Right. What they should do in medical schools and in paramedic schools and nursing schools, they should they're probably, when, when they do their tests or clinical tests, you know, to make sure that to show that people can do what they they need to do, they should probably turn the turn the sprinklers on overhead. Yeah. They probably should let let a a bag full of flies uh, out in the room. They probably have people screaming, right. running around, yeah. screaming. Yeah. Yeah. So you're doing. These I mean, things I, I went through a course called Combat Lifesavers when I was in the military. And it was pretty much that. And basically at every station where there was somebody, a, a casualty, you'd come up and there'd be two instructors. And the one instructor was basically the calm guy that gave you information. Because when you check the, the actors, you've got a, basically a guy there pretending to be hurt. You check his pulse. Right. Well, obviously he has a pulse because he's not actually dead. And it's going to be a normal <laughs> pulse because he's just kicking back for while, you know, he's, you know, covered in fake blood and, and torn uniforms and whatever and just sitting there. So okay. he, you're not going to get any regular pulse. You're not going to get no, you're going to get. So the, the one instructor just tells you, you've got a good pulse on this one. Uh, his okay. breathing is normal or his breathing's erratic. You ask the, the, the casualty a question and he goes, he's responding, he's not responding, whatever. Because the instructor knows and the casualty's just some guy they pulled out for duty. They just lay down here and shut up. So he's all cool. The other guy is over your shoulder, in your ears, screaming bloody murder. You're going to kill him. You don't know what you're doing. You're, you're doing it all wrong. He's going to die because of you. Like that. Right? And they've got, like, simulation charges going off around and stuff. And you got to figure it out. And you got to let that just – got to just let that zone out, like – 
it's not even there. You know, right. you got to pretend a, it didn't happen, and you got to. And I think that there is a place for training like that outside of the military because, yeah, I mean, you know, bombs don't generally have the decency to only do a certain kind of damage 15 minutes away from a hospital where we can take everybody. Sometimes things have to be handled in situations with a crowd running around freaking out. Exactly. Or, you know, if we are talking about um, a, a shit-hit-the-fan situation, yeah. I can say that. It's Jack's show. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I can't say nut? You can say nut. You said you couldn't say nut. I told you you could say nut. My conscience was okay. saying I couldn't. What go ahead. What I'm saying is, um, you know, the mass casualty incident that you could uh, come across in that situation is, you know, some gangs versus gangs or a gang versus your community. And, you know, there's, there's some sort of, you know, shootout or stabbings or whatever weapons they have to have. And then you still have a mass casualty incident. It's just now you don't have hospitals to take these people to. But you still have to do that same triage. You still have to figure out who within your group. I don't know if you're going to save the people who came in to harm you, but at least your people who got hurt, you can go through and use these triage skills for them. And that's that's really why we put it in there. But it can be um, transferred to today, and, and so it still is a good right. skill. I mean, to the learn. bottom line is, do the most good in that situation. Do the most good for the most individuals. Exactly. We might not do the best care for each and in, each individual, right? But for the most people, you're going to do the most good, and you're going to give them the the, the of that group of victims, the most people, a chance to survive. Well, so, and Jack, for people that think that can't happen, or you know, we don't have you know, modern countries, people don't just have like a, a thing of thugs start shooting people. Just look back to 2008 and the Mumbai attacks. They think there was 166 people killed over a series of several days and over 300 wounded, which was just bombings and shootings because I guess they were pissed off over Kashmir or something like that. Um, <laughs> and and I'll tell you what, when you look at America, there's a lot of people pissed off over a lot of stuff. So. There's a yeah. point at which as an economy begins to fail and systems of support begin to fail, I hate to say it, but stuff like this yeah. is a natural result of it. Exactly. I'm starting to get pretty pissed off about a lot of things that's going <laughs> yeah. on that we talked about before. You know, I, I really try Luckily to, luckily she takes it out on me. I real no, I don't. I really try to stay calm, Jack, honestly, because <laughs> if you get all excited and you get all freaked out and you get, you know, I don't get fearful. I, I don't know why. I just don't have fear for the most part. Unless somebody was going to push me out of an airplane without a parachute, then I might be fearful. But I, I don't have fear. I just I, I get angry, and I'm, like, so mad about this privacy thing. And I'm wondering how many folks in this country are getting as angry as I am, and, you know, is, is that going to tip something I mean, how, how Joe, much you might need to put a blood pressure cuff on her right now and make sure she's all right. She's I'm, like, I'm like a really mellow, optimistic, happy-go-lucky. You know, Dorothy and I, when we chat, you know, we're always laughing and happy. We don't have, like, serious end-of-the-world conversations. Where, you know, we talk about, you know, your dogs and how we want chickens and, and all, you know, happy-girly things, too. We don't talk about this kind of thing, but... I'm really starting to get mad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think the thing that, real, that, that most of us look at as being a, a, the biggest potential to cause a, a major failure of society right now is economic. 
And that brings yeah. so many things with it. I've always said that like, that, like, like the twins of misery are pandemic and ep- economic collapse. If you get an economic collapse, you're probably going to end up with a pandemic. And if you get a pandemic, you're going to end up with an economic collapse. I mean, the, 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 the two are, you know, you might end up with a bad problem with il- some sort of illness in a, in a society already falling apart. But if you have a, a serious pandemic, I'm talking 19, uh, 1919 flu level pandemic, it will destroy an economy. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely, and we are not a patient society, so just think of the civil unrest that's going to be uh, caused by the overwhelm, overwhelming of, of medical services in that type of situation. I mean, everybody's going to want their sick family member to be taken care of, On and, the respirator. and the medical resources are just not going to be enough for uh, the number of people involved. Well, yeah, could you guys kind of maybe talk about that? So let's look at a way that this could become very real for people very fast as far as needing to provide their own medical care. Let's say there was a major pandemic, high infection rate, high mortality rate, something in the neighborhood of 10% of people that get it die, another 10 to 15% need hospitalization to not die. At that point, you were a doctor longer than I was because I've been a doctor never, and you did it for many years, Bone, so you correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think at that point there's no room for anybody else. So you have uh, an injury, the line at the hospital is probably around the corner, and going to the hospital with a fracture uh, while you're suppressed during a pandemic is probably a bad idea anyway. Exactly, because there's no room left. That's and the whole point. you're also going where all the sick people are. Right. Right, which is probably the last place you need to go. And we've worried about several different um, viruses over the years. We've had many different, you know, many scares about the transmission. And all it's going to take is one of these viruses to just mutate That's why a little bit to be able to move from human to human human very, very quickly. And just like you're saying, those hospitals are going to be overwhelmed. The people other the people who don't have influenza, forget that. They need to stay away from the hospital because you don't want to get it. But the ones who get it will need mechanical ventilation, and there are not a lot of those machines in this country, even if you add up all of those. So a small percentage of the, of the population here needs that machine, they're going to be filled up very, very quickly. And then everybody else is just going to to either well, people live. people are going to want to know, why is that guy on and my kid's dying, right? I mean, sure. so that leads to immediate uh, a societal breakdown. And I, I, I think that people don't honestly get how much of this is dependent upon some other cog in the system that any point of failure. So instead of pandemic, we'll look at an economic collapse. So if we have not... Of 2008 recession, the the failure of the currency, which if you know math and you look at things, you kind of go sooner or later that's going to happen. When I don't know exactly how, I don't know, but sooner or later this whole thing just has to be re, reset button. It, it can't go on forever. In that scenario, if if there's no value in going to work, people stop going to work, and doctors and nurses are not immune from this. So the whole medical system of support begins to crumble at that point. Because the guy's going to stay home, and you say we're talking about with responders in Katrina, and look after his own family before he goes off to work to get money that's worthless. And so there's all these different scenarios where we end up with these long-term situations 
that people are going to have to look out for themselves. Exactly, and that's why it's just as important to have you know the bandages as it is to have the beans and, and the bullets. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, some other things we put in the book, um, which I know you're interested in, is gardening. I, I wrote a chapter on starting a medicinal garden and how to get it started, how to get it planted, and um, what are, are some of these herbs good for. So we're really trying to help people find strategies for thinking outside the box. And having a self-sustain, having a sustainable strategy too, because at one point or another, if things really do happen one day, the the pharmaceuticals are going to run out. You know, regardless of what you think about pharmaceuticals, whether you're into alternative healing or not, you know, there are going to be some pharmaceuticals that are going to be useful, but some, they are going to run out, and you need to be able to find some types of natural alternatives that that will work. Yeah, you won't be able to get a pill for shift differential disorder anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, if I've ever heard of a, a made-up illness by a pharmaceutical company, that I the first time I heard that on the radio, I don't know who, may, Pfizer or somebody makes the pill for it, I, I went, that has to be like a parody or that, that, that can't be real. Shift differential <laughs> disorder? That means you're tired because you work swing shift? Apparently so. So, yeah, and we're, we're and the reason I bring that up is we're a society that we're so spoiled that that exists, right? And you can talk about how wrong it is that they do that, but the point is there's a market for it. We have a society where any owie, boo-boo thing that makes your life inconvenient, you go see the doctor, there's a pill for it, you know. And I think that makes us very susceptible to events that happened in the past that we did better than we would this time around, the Great Depression. Right. The people that went through the Great Depression, these were not people who, when their kid wiped out on his bike and skinned his knee, they took him to the ER. Right. They threw a little mercurocomb on it. It burned like hell and they sent him back out the door. And those people were tough people. They got through it because they were tough. If we even get a Great Depression style event this time around, I don't think society's prepared for it. No, and I'll tell you a perfect example of that. When we teach people suturing or stapling or when they just get the idea that, gee, maybe this might be a skill that, you know, hopefully I won't need, but I would like to learn it. Um, the, one of the first questions, and we get this every day someone writes us, what am I going to do to numb the skin? And I'm, think, I'm like, nothing. You can't get a prescription. If you're lucky enough to have a prescription for lidocaine, let's just say you have that liquid sitting on your shelf. Liquids do not last very long after their expiration dates, if at all, depend on how they're stored. Unlike tablets, which we've discussed before, which could last many, many years if stored properly, these liquids are not going to last. So you've got this lidocaine. You think, oh, you're all hunky-dory, and you need to use it four years later. Well, you inject it, and the patient starts screaming when you suture them. The point is, no, you're not going to have local. It's not going to be fun, and that's why why we tell you don't do it unless it's a life-saving procedure. You're not going to be suturing up someone's face to make them look prettier and using, you know, tiny little sutures. It's not going to be like that. You're going to be suturing, you know, some severe laceration because once the skin's healed, they have less susceptibility to infection. And that's your goal is not to harm the patient. However, it's going to hurt like heck while you're suturing. And that's just the way it is. No topical little gel or benzocaine spray or lidocaine liquid on the top. 
you know, in a gel, something you can buy in yeah. a small percentage is going to work, people. It's just not going to work. It's going to be painful if you have to do an amputation. All you have to do is look at some of these pictures from the Civil War when they put the stick in the guy's mouth and they held him down and the surgeon with bloody hands and no gloves who just came from cutting off 20 other people's legs starts hacking off the leg. Thankfully, we know about cleaning up wounds and gloves, but it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. I hope we never have to face this, but it's not going to be fun, people. Don't wish for it. Let me tell you, I've been to Civil War museums where they'll have mini balls that are nearly bit in two where they gave a guy a bullet to bite, which I guess is where bite the bullet comes from when they did an amputation. And it looks like somebody went down on it with a set of channel locks, and this is from a human being's teeth. And the fascinating thing I learned in some of those is that a good surgeon could amputate a leg in seven to nine seconds. Right, very Which quickly. Which was like, that can't feel good, but gee, I guess it's better than 19 seconds, you know? Um, right. Yeah, I mean, so that is that is a reality, and that's not that's not that long ago. I mean, people have a tendency to feel like, well, that's, that's ancient history. That's 150 years. It's nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. And another thing they used, which is extremely dangerous, and they probably killed a lot of people with it, was ether. Oh, yeah. They, they've used ether, and I, I guarantee you, many, many people died, not of, not of what they were injured, their injury, but they were overdosed with ether. And the surgeon would say, oh, he bled to death, yeah. you know, or, oh, that injury killed him. No, the other guy who didn't really know what he was doing, soaking that, that cloth with ether, kind of overdosed the dude, and, and he died before you finished your procedure. Yeah, we didn't you have know, specialized so. anesthesiologists back then that <laughs> monitored every bit of, yeah, absolutely. I mean, right. so, yeah. so ether's not an answer either, guys. If you think you're storing ether, you know how to make it, um, don't do that. You, you may kill the person. It's it's good for a vehicle that's run out of fuel to get it to kick the engine over when you're trying to get it to start again, but it's not good for putting people to sleep. Well, it's good for putting people to sleep. You just might not wake them up. Just, yeah, permanently. <laughs> there you go. Permanently. Right. And and if we are in that situation where we don't have the modern medicine and all of our fancy machines that we're so used to, how are you going to monitor the patient's blood pressure, their oxygen saturation, their heart rate? It's just not going to happen. Right. It's just not going to happen. So you're going to be putting this this ether on somebody and not knowing if in a few minutes they're actually going to be breathing. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's the thing I think people do need to prepare themselves for mentally, that we could end up in situations where a lot of procedures that a person either would have a, a good local for or be completely under for, they'll ha- they'd have to suffer through it. Exactly. Uh, and, again, exactly. it's not that long ago that that's how it, it was for everybody. I mean, that was... Again, I, I mean, I think you'd know better than me, Bones. How 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 old is is you know what we think of as anesthesia today? Actually, con- controllable. I could put you completely out. You don't know what's going on. I gotta believe that's less than a hundred years. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. In the 1920s, I would think they started really uh, being able to standardize the way you're given anesthesia, and uh, anesthesiology became an actual. So, uh, specialty. specialty. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's about it's about at that point. So that's about that's ninety years. 
That's less 90, than a, that's yeah, less than a hundred years. So I mean, it's just amazing how how new a lot of things are. And and think about uh, in our in our book, we uh, added a new uh, section in, a, in the second edition on dental extraction, for example. I mean, if you're going to be in a long-term survival situation, a dental extractor, for example, is one of the most important items of equipment that you're going to have in your medical supplies. And why is that? Because 90% of dental emergencies can be handled by extraction. So we actually talk about how you actually can do this in, in a safe manner in the book. And the important thing to know about that is that Dental extraction, dental extraction, and the philosophy that we have today in dentistry is like totally different. Save, now it's safe. Save the tooth. Yeah, you got to save, save the tooth. Save every tooth. But you know what? In the old days, that wasn't the case. As a matter of fact, when I say the old days, by the way, I'm not talking about Roman times. I'm talking about a, 60 years ago or so. I mean, they basically they saw a problem with the tooth. They took the tooth out. And so it will be again if we wind ourselves uh, wind up having things go south on us. Right. Yeah, and I mean, if you people from my grand my grandparents' generation, almost none, no one in that age bracket that I knew had all their teeth. Right, because that was the solution. If you left the tooth in that was rotting, you could end up with a horrible infection. It could get into your blood, get into your brain, affect and other teeth too. Affect other, and and you you may check out. You may actually die. Because of a tooth. The dental abscess. So removing the teeth in a situation where we don't have dentists that are doing um, root canals and crowns and all this other, you know, crazy stuff that they do to, to save teeth. Which is great, by the yeah, way. It I is mean, great. You know. People want to keep their teeth. I understand. I have nightmares about that. Um, but it's not going to happen. You're going to have to take that tooth out. And most likely, it's funny when people come by and they... they in our booths, they see the dental equipment sitting there, and they handle it. And almost every one of them gets the heebie-jeebies. They're like, oh, I couldn't do that. I said, you know what? You'd be really surprised what you do when your tooth hurts a whole lot, and there's nobody else to fix it. You're going to be begging, you know, if it's a husband or wife, you're going to be begging your spouse, please take my tooth out. So don't say you're not going to do that. It's like if you're starving, you say, oh, I would never eat. Um, let's say rats, for instance. Yeah. If you're starving and you come upon a rat, I would bet my life on it. I'll be getting sautéed with ginger and lemongrass, baby. I'll be you know, making rat curry. You're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be eating the rat. I said so. You can't say never if you you haven't been in the situation. You would be surprised what human survival skills will make you do. Well, and that is one that you that you can understand that a person feels that way because you start saying, but the the the, the that's it, like you're saying actually the problem is the solution there that as bad as it hurts to have a tooth extracted, the pain from the a certain type of, of dental problem is such that eventually you'll endure it to get it over with. Exactly, right. it's yeah. like having a baby. It once the baby's out, you feel so much better. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> I'll have to take your word on that. Yeah, <laughs> Jack, you don't want to be uh, the next, the the first real Mr. male uh, or whatever. No, Mr. I'm going to skip that. 
So with this book, right, so Bones, you went to medical school, you went to you know, pre-med, you did a residency, and you had a practice, and you had this medical degree, right? So this this book that I'm going to get from you, it's not going to it's not going to replace that though. I mean, I'm not going to get a medical diploma in the back I can you know tear out and put up on my wall, right? <laughs> well, no, no. no. <laughs> no. I was thinking of getting giving a, a medical degree. I mean, yes. you can get ordained a minister in, uh, online. No, no, minister. <laughs> no, it, it, it almost every Doctor Bones uh, fake medical degree yeah, yeah, you certificate. Gotta, <laughs> yeah, you have to know the practice of medicine. Uh, or dentistry, by the way, without a license, just against the law, that none of the things that we talk about in the book is going to protect you from liability if you decide to take your eight-year-old niece and sew her up, uh, you know. Or, or, or remove a tooth. Don't right. do these things. Right. Uh, you know, if there's a functioning government, there's a functioning legal system, you are going to get Especially sued. the legal if anything, system. If anything goes wrong, you know, if you really want to... Uh, be a healthcare provider in a pre-collapse society, man, get some formal medical education. It just takes your time, your energy, your dedication. But I will say this, that, you know, you're not going to be a physician after reading this book, but you're going to be more of a medical asset to your family, you know, to your group, to right. your community than you were before. You know, you're going to have learned to think about what to do when you become the end of the line when it comes to your family's well-being. You have thought about preventative medicine. You've thought about sanitation because you know what? You are the... Chief sanitation officer, you got to make sure that infectious disease doesn't run rampant in your camp in in times of trouble because that is going to that'll affect multiple members of your group. You go, you'll look in your at your environment, see what uh, plants, what what you have in nature nearby that might have medicinal value. We teach you about that. Uh, put together a, a medical kit. That's yes, right. And we tell you about all the different things that you, for everything from. Your individual first aid kick to gosh to a to a field hospital to a community right <laughs> yeah you know and it, what that makes me think of though when you're saying some of these things is like when I'm asked like at an event or something what is the number one thing I should do to prep medically my response has always been make sure you have a good source of fresh clean safe to drink water and yeah. people go well that that's that makes a lot of sense but that's not a medical prep I'm like that is the medical because that's the preventive step. That prevents the number one way that people die in collapse scenarios is from diarrhea or cholera or some kind of amoeba or whatever it is that gets in the water supply. Because I don't care if there's dead stuff floating in water. When a person goes long enough without anything to drink, if there's any water, they'll eventually drink what's available. Oh, right. And and I'll tell you, even the clearest mountain streams, uh, I we hike in the Smoky Mountains and... And the streams there, even in the backcountry, uh, has giardia and some other organisms in there that can cause diarrheal disease. And and you have to remember that dehydration due to diarrheal disease has been a cause of death for, yeah, I mean, think about the Civil War. Gosh, more Civil War soldiers died of dehydration due to dysentery than they died from bullet or shrapnel wounds. That's true in almost every war up until after, I'd say, World War One. World War Two, that wasn't the case, but World War One, that was the case. I mean, the trenches were literally disease-ridden pits. I mean, they almost could have just dug extra ones and just every once in a while filled one in and, and put a headstone on it. I mean, guys were falling over left and right in those things. And the reason for that was because of the advent of penicillin, 
was in 19, uh, uh, or the use of penicillin was in the early 40s. Okay. That's so, what changed the, the game in World yes. War II then, I guess, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, that these are all things, and we're, we're just because we've gotten smart doesn't mean we've gotten past the physical limitations we have. As soon as you take away the technology, for whatever reason, we're right back where we were. So you guys were mentioning, like, medical supplies and, and, and first aid kits and things like that. So, you know, what level of medical supplies do you think is sufficient for a person that's, that's, that's you know, concerned about these things and trying to be better prepared? How many medical supplies? Well, till till it reaches as high as an elephant's eye, <laughs> and it's climbing clear up till it reaches the sky. You know, oh, you got to think did about. You should think. I did. <laughs> I did. I'm gonna think some more. Don't, don't, don't. Feelings, no, 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 no. nothing Stop more it. than okay. All right. Now I'm beating him. Just All right. Spousal right. right. well, abuse. You know, man, think about it. You're gonna have to take care of. It's not just yourself. Right. And, well, you think you're you think you're just going to have to take care of yourself, your your spouse, or just and, your family, and and your nuclear family. But you know what? You are going to end up taking care of a lot more people than you think. I mean, you you have close friends who are going to come to your door because they know that you are prepared. Do you have uh, uh, family members who are going to do uh, whatever it is that you think you're going to be? Whatever number you think you're going to be taking care of, you should double it, multiply tri- it, triple it. Because there are going to be people that you're just not going to be able to shut Everybody's your door. Everybody's aunts, your door. uncles, grandparents, Absolutely. cousins. Oh, this is my best friend. Can he come? And he knows how to build this and do that. Yeah. So the, the this point, is my father's cousins, uncles, former uncles, right, right. uncles, right. Um, <laughs> so are those twenty, you know, amoxicillin pills, you know, that you scrounge for bold prescriptions, going to be enough to deal? With that many people? Nope. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Remember? See, I think there's a value there. So people always think, well, I'll just be this island in the middle of chaos. And the reality is if we get into one of these scenarios, you're not going to make it alone. No. So having that level of ability, a lot of people would say, well, I don't want all these people coming to me. But you actually do because... If you're able to provide that as a service to people, then you have value to your community. And, I mean, who do you think they're going to help out when, you know, the next gang of thugs shows up? Uh, are they going to put the, pro- the priority on helping the guy that's doing okay, but he's all walled up and he's not involved, or the person that just saved their kid yesterday? Exactly. Uh, and, and there's going to be a, a really strong need for community and group communities to work together and if you have that skill set and the supply base, you become immediately valuable. If you'll say, well, what if everybody takes my stuff? Well, if you have the knowledge to go with it, you know, I could go in your house and take a bunch of your medical supplies. But if I don't know what to do with them, then they're not really usable. Right. I, you know, it just goes down to the very basic uh, survival tenet, which is uh, individual may survive, but it takes a community to thrive. So you absolutely need people with multiple skills, and you absolutely working together, right? And by the way, I mean, I want uh, one thing that people don't realize is that hemorrhagic wounds, uh, in terms of a specific supply, you have to have more gauze dressings or more dressings for wounds than than you think that you have right now, because. Uh, one hemorrhagic wound could possibly take the majority, a if not all, exactly. of whatever you happen to have already 
put away. I mean, the bottom line is it's, it's simple. You're never going to have enough medical supplies. You know, you're going to be using them. You have more people that you're going to be taking care of. And if, if there ever is a point where you are going to have something that you think is extra, it's going to be an extraordinarily valuable. important That's right. barter item. Absolutely, absolutely valuable. You cannot, you can absolutely cannot, uh, uh, you, can, you can cause bleeding with a bullet, but you can't stop bleeding with a bullet. And, you know, you can uh, you can have your beans, but uh, you're not going to cure, cure a disease by, you know, taking two beans and calling me in the morning. Right. <laughs> Another thing, Jack, that, right, calling me in the morning, you're, you're, I've got like a funny bone today, darling. <laughs> um, one thing I would recommend, besides the traditional medical supplies, um, is make sure you, you do learn about, herbal medicine, um, make sure you think outside the box. People talk about um, maxi pads. Um, that's not typically thought of as, you know, a medical gauze, but they work great and you can store a lot of them for cheap. And another thing that I would suggest that people might not have thought about are 100% cotton sheets. Right. Mm. Those can be used for a million things. So get just start storing up. There's cheap stores out there where you can get 100% cotton sheets. Get them white. Um, you can boil them. You can get them nice and clean. You can tear them up in strips. Use them as stretchers. Um, if you've got a patient that's going to be in bed for a long time, you're going to need to be changing those sheets frequently. You can use them to dress wounds, tie off wounds as a as a tourniquet, make slings. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Tie sticks onto a leg that's fractured. Sheets are great. Get lots of them besides your traditional medical supplies. Right. Improvise. Improvise. Absolutely. Think outside the box. That makes a lot of sense. Um, could you talk about maybe some of the things that is some supplies that everybody should have though? Just I know you've got a, an exhaustive list in the oh, book, but no. yeah, just some high end stuff. Okay, definitely um, nitrile gloves. There's some sort of I don't want to call it an epidemic, but there is a serious problem with latex allergies going on. I never thought I had a latex problem until I put a band aid on a couple weeks ago and ended up with a horrible red rash that took like three weeks to go away that was the shape of the Band-Aid. Really? So latex is starting to cause problems with people that never cause problems. So buy the nitrile gloves. You can get big boxes of those. They're sold everywhere. Um, Stock up on those. And remember, people, you're not putting the gloves on for yourself. If you have no cuts on your skin... I don't care if you stick your hand in a vat of blood that has HIV, you will not get it, okay? Your skin is your protection. We have bacteria all over our skin, and we don't get sick. Don't bite your nails, though. It's Well, yeah, don't have – well, again, any chink in the skin, even if it's small, you can get sick, okay? It can get in there. But if your hands are intact, the gloves are for the patient. Do no harm. Put your gloves on. Please wash your hands before you put your gloves on. But put your gloves on. So I would say number one is the gloves. And the water really goes into the survival. I mean, if you don't, and this is what I tell my, my students, our students, if you don't have water, you're up a creek without a paddle, 
Forget this injury. You people are going to die because you don't have water. Because people say, oh, well, what can I clean the wound with? Well, you can clean a wound with potable, potable water. If you can drink it, you can clean a wound with it. You don't need fancy stuff, okay? Water. Water, water, water. But you have to be able to drink it. And don't use the plastic bottle that you just drank out of because your swill is now in that bottle and you can't use that to clean a patient's wound so gloves and water make sure that you have filtered it purified it sterilized it i don't care what you have to go through if you don't feel comfortable drinking it don't use it there are a number of studies that indicate that just using clean drinkable water is the same uh infection rate or lower than using uh, betadine or using hydrogen peroxide as a matter of fact from a healing standpoint you have to remember that the cells in inside your body, as new after in, if a wound occurs, the, there are new cells that are wanting to con, start forming, and they need a moist environment. And things that dry them out, like concentrated betadine, alcohol, or alcohol, or hydrogen peroxide, that actually slows down or kills new cells right and, called cytotoxic and so is so is actual so is actually worse than use uh, than using clean drinkable water right. even though they're antiseptic you're de- you're delaying healing by using that so what i'm saying is you have to have water so gloves water now you've got to have some way to dress the wound you've thought about cleaning it you've thought about protecting the patient now you've got to have some way to cover that wound up and again it can be anywhere from sterile gauze to um, sheets you've just washed in sterile solution. If you boiled them is what I'm saying. Boil them and let them dry. You can use those. So um, trying to keep the wound covered so that the bacteria that's floating around in the air doesn't get into that wound. You want to protect from infection. Um, antiseptics. Um, something to take care of um, cleaning after you've washed it, you you can use. Compression bandages. Uh, we, we use Israeli battle dressings. They're an excellent compression bandage. I mean, they can even provide up to 30 pounds of uh, of compression. Post-hemorrhage, uh, right. I, we make sure that all our kits have uh, blood clotting powder. Uh, something to stop bleeding would right. be very helpful. So that, it, it does work. Cellox works. Um, yeah. I found out by let's go ahead and see because I'm bleeding now and let's see if it works. So um, I had the cat ended up going up inside the hood of the pickup truck when she escaped the house. So I opened the hood of the truck and she's sitting on the air cleaner. And this is the older truck and the hydraulic things that hold the hood up have failed. Um, which I forgot. So I let go of the hood and went to grab the cat. And the hood oh. of the truck came down and the point, the actually you know, the thing that actually locks the, 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 the hinge lock, that pointed part of it hit me dead smack in the middle of the head. Oh. So Ouch. I lifted it back up and grabbed the cat and I got her back in the house and I'm like, damn it, I don't want to go to the ER for this and cause I'm like and I put my hand up and it's it's not gushing, but it's bleeding quite a bit and go in the bathroom and rinse it out and the whole floor turns red. And I know it's not a big deal because head wounds bleed a lot, but you know, after I get it rinsed out, I feel, and it's, it's going to bleed for a while. So I'm like, well, let's just see. Right. So we whip some on there and bam, I mean, it was done. It, it, that stuff. I mean, there's people sometimes that question how well that stuff works. My experience is it works good. 
Right. Well, I got to tell you that if you go to YouTube and look up the title Sealock's Demonstration, okay, what they do is they actually, this is pretty graphic, they actually take a pig and they sever its femoral artery, which is one of the main arteries in the body. Yeah. And then they fold their arms and they watch it bleed for 90 seconds. And then they put some Sealock's on there and apply some pressure and stuff bleeding. So this, which is pretty darn amazing. This stuff, yeah, that really is a pump, that is a you can bleed very very quickly and die from an, an injury in that area. But you can also think about a quick clot. Now these are both made from natural substances, by the way. Um, quick clot is kaolin, which is uh, the, the most radiant in kaopectate, and it's also in red in red clay. And it's the most common mineral found in the world. It's just. Like dirt, okay? That's what it is, but purified. So, and then Celox is... Celox is made from uh, crustacean shells. So, and uh, the difference between the two, which a lot of people do ask me, um, is that Celox uh, is able to clot blood in people that are on blood thinners, whereas a quick clot can't. However, it's made from crustacean shells. If you're allergic to seafood, then you might think twice before you using, could have, using Celox. Could on, have a cross allergic reaction. Right. But people yeah. who take Coumadin, if you take Coumadin or you take uh, Warfarin, 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 um, you can actually use this to stop your bleeding. Now, right. another thing that you can, you want to speak? Yeah, on I just want to say, I did want to say that that um, quick clot has a tendency to be sort of crumbly. Um, as after a while, you know, and, it, and it's a little harder to clean out of a wound once you're uh, out of danger from bleeding uh, than Celox, which uh, sort of becomes a gel-like substance. But they're both easier to remove if they're impregnated in gauze. Um, but since those are natural, um, you know, we did a lot of research again, thinking outside the box. And cayenne pepper, if you reach um, a Scoville unit or a heat unit, is which is HU, of 35,000 or higher, you will get uh, a hemostatic effect, which means if you pour the cayenne pepper in the wound, it will stop bleeding, which is pretty amazing. It'll burn. I've tried it. Um, I've used it three times. Twice. That's interesting because we just had Patriot Nurse on, and she said it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well... <laughs> she also doesn't think she, she also, also doesn't think you should learn how to suture either. Yeah, but that's good yeah, because right. she doesn't know how to teach it. Well, we, we, Sorry, we have a feud going here. I'm gonna be right in the middle of it. This will be great. Well, well, you started it. Well, we we appreciate everything that everyone anyone does, everyone right? does to try to get people <laughs> medically prepared. But our suturing classes and our staple our stapling classes are all geared with regards to giving teaching you the judgment as to when you should close a wound, when you should leave a wound open, how you should close a wound, how to care for a wound that you decide to keep open. And remember, most of the wounds that, you, that you're going to encounter in a grid-down situation are going to be dirty wounds. So most of the wounds, indeed, are going to be kept open. But there are going to be circumstances where you may, indeed, want to close a wound. And so it's important. I think, it, I think it's unreasonable for people to say that you shouldn't learn a skill because I think that people should learn uh, learn every medical skill that they possibly can while they can now. Knowledge is and, power. And learn the judgment as to when to use that skill, which is most of what we teach. It's not just that 
how to just throw a stitch. No, we actually spend two and a half hours teaching about wound care. Um, the closure part um, is some of the class, but it's it's about evaluating wounds. And like Bone said, how to take care of it. Should you leave it open? And when you leave it open, these are what you're going to do to help prevent infection. So it's not just, okay, everybody, uh, here's your sutures. Uh, let's start suturing. It's not like that. It's a very comprehensive wound care class, and you learn a lot. So I'm glad you guys got a chance to say that because you know me. I have a, If I have a guest on, I let them give their opinion. I don't go get into a debate with them, but I also knew you guys would be on again soon, and we get to hear the other side of that. And I, I think that it, I find it short-sighted to look at any skill and say that's not worth learning. I, I don't care what it is. I mean, people have I'm, I'm been on my back to get a ham radio certification license or whatever, and like I don't really care. But I know how to run the dadgone radio um, because right. if if I'm ever in a situation where we're talking about all the stuff we're talking about today is going on, I'm not worried about the FCC getting on my back because I don't have the right call letters, right? But but it doesn't mean I'm not going to learn how it works. And I think that when you look at something like suturing, uh, there's there's an incredible value there. There's a reason that, you know, South American Indians use ant heads to basically staple a wound shut. It's not like they do it because they think it's cool. Um, there's there's a reason that, that society developed a way to close wounds, and this is one way to do it. But I, I don't. I never thought you guys were ever saying, well, anytime anybody has a scratch, put a suture in it. Exactly. Right. And the point is, you're trying to prevent infection. That is your goal, because you don't want to have to deal with that, especially in a post-collapse situation. When you touch the skin together by whatever closure method, and this could include steri-strips, you know, just closing a wound. If you can get away with butterfly bandages or some adhesive tape that you've made into butterfly bandages, that's great. You don't want to be invasive because if you staple or you suture, you add two more holes on either side of that laceration. That's two more places for every suture or staple you put. That is now another opening for an infection. So if you're closing this up, you have to be very diligent on taking care of that wound, and you have to be very sure that you have to use your supplies because they're precious. You don't want to have to suture if you don't have to, but if you do and you bring the two skin sides together, your skin will heal much faster. You will now protect that patient and not have an open wound that you have to deal with for a very long time because when you heal from the inside out without closing it, it takes time. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And the longer it's open, the more chance that that patient's going to get infected a day from now, three days from now, a week from now, if you're not careful cleaning it. And even if you are careful cleaning it, some people still get infection. Well, as long as it's open, there's a potential for it. You could do everything right right today, and they they could be exposed to something tomorrow. That's right. right. Exactly. So we're not – and that's another thing. We don't close it if you don't have to do it. Right. Exactly. It's it's a judgment thing, and that's what we teach in the book. That's what we teach in our classes is we're trying to give people and tell people in plain English – how to, when to do certain things that that may be helpful and when not to do them. Uh, the decision not to do them sometimes is just as life saving as the decision to do something. Exactly. And and I just wanted to say just one other time that you know 
anyone in the medical field that's trying to help people become medically prepared, we want them to continue what they're doing. We, it's okay if we disagree. If you go to ten doctors uh, tomorrow, you get ten opinions with a medical po- with a medical problem. You're going to wind up having ten opinions. I'm still going to disagree. I'm sorry. This is a skill that you have a chance. You should learn it. I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree till the day I die. That if somebody offered me the chance to learn um, how to make a a windmill, okay, should I tell everybody nobody should learn how to do a windmill because it's very complicated and you, you may not ever use it. Right, I may not never I don't, may not ever use it, but I have the knowledge and I don't think it's wrong to learn everything that you possibly can now because if you don't learn it and you're in a situation where you need to do it, guess what? You're screwed. This is what we say all the time and it's better to have a thing and not need it than need a thing and not have it. The same thing applies to a skill set. And, and- I- and you can always barter for a thing. You can't always barter for a skill. And developing a skill takes time. And, you know, I I, I see extreme value uh, in knowing how to close one. And, again, knowing when not to as well. Um, and I think that that's something that, I mean, again, like, like you're saying there, Bones, you got to decide for yourself what you, you know, what you want to know and how much you want to know and how much time you want to put into it. But, and then you've got to decide, based on what you've learned, what should I do now? And you won't always make the right decision. And that's something I think that people need to be aware of, too. This is not happy-go-lucky stuff we're talking about here. It can be fun to learn. It can make you you know, feel very empowered. But the day that you really need this stuff, some of the stuff, the deeper stuff that's in your book um, – you know, there's nobody, no doctor gets it right all the time. So certainly no uh, amateur uh, survival medic is going to get it right all the time. You're absolutely right. That That is something that uh, doctors, nurses, paramedics don't always make the right decisions, even though they're trained. So to expect yourself as a non-medical professional to always get it right, it just never happens. Doctors don't always get it right. And don't expect to yourself, however, you want to have as much education as possible so that you have the best shot at getting it right and get ahead of, basically get a head start on keeping your family healthy. So you guys actually have a store on your site, and a lot of these supplies are available there, right? Yes, as a matter of fact, Amy is the... Uh, manager, you want to manager. Call manager? She's a store manager, <laughs> a store so manager. she'll tell you all about it. <laughs> uh, we do. Um, I, I just created a, one bag a little over about a year and a half ago um, that was the kitchen sink. It has everything, including the dental extractors, a whole kit for extracting teeth. Um, what I did, and it has a lot of herbal medicine too, because I want to introduce people to the idea that um, going for the triple antibiotic ointment is not always what you have to do. I put raw honey in the bag, and you, that can be used to dress a wound as your um, your ointment instead of the neosporin. So. Another option, there's also tea tree oil. There's lavender oil. There are lots of great things to help prevent or treat infections. And actually, 
A Honey is, is one of my favorites. And from there, we decided to make a, uh, a stomp bag or a, a, trauma, a trauma bag that allows you to deal with uh, multiple episodes of traumatic injury. And then we went even smaller and smaller and smaller. We sort of went, instead of from the smallest one right. to the top, we went from the top one down. Those were babies right. born out of, of this, right. this first So we even have personal, individual first aid kits that weigh like a pound, seven ounces that are Molly compatible. We have uh, we have dental kits that have been reviewed by, by dentists and considered to be appropriate. You also get a, uh, a cop, when you get our dental kit, you get a copy of where there is no dentist also. Uh, we have even a blowout uh, advanced kit for our paramedics and our other friends highly that, skilled that are that are highly skilled right. with uh, chest seals and uh, nasal nasal oral pharyngeal airways and all sorts of uh, high tech stuff. So we have lots of stuff. And the reason I did the dental is a lot. We're talking about it, but a lot of people forget it. They get the gauze, they get the antiseptics, um, they get the blood stoppers and and all the the basic stuff. Um, but they forget that whole issue of dental, and that could be a very serious problem. That'll bring uh, one of your family members down and put them in bed if it's bad enough. And again, like we talked about, it could actually kill somebody if you let it go long enough. So I separated out a dental kit so people could supplement what they've done already. If you've put together your medical supplies and, and that was just something you forgot, I wanted to make it available as a separate unit. Yeah, I see. You've got a Dulex dental kit. You also have the suturing kits. Uh, so you got all these little components, and then you get the family medical bag. That must be the one that's like the the kitchen that's sink plus uh, <laughs> the the garage sink in, in it. <laughs> yeah, and again, that has a lot of herbal stuff. It has um, organic teas. It has um, the raw and processed honey, essential oils. It has tinctures. One is for pain, and one is for sleep. Because, again, you may not have prescription medicines, but there are things in nature that will help help with this, like chamomile tea, supposed to relieve and relax so you can go to sleep or if you're stressed out. Uh, the ginger tea, everyone knows your mom gave you ginger ale when your stomach was hurting. You can drink ginger tea. So, anyway, I just wanted to get people thinking outside of the pharmaceuticals, what's in nature that might be able to help me. And for people that are members of our support brigade, you guys go to your benefits section before you go to doomandbloom.net because they give you guys 10% off everything, which on some of these larger kits is a pretty dadgone good amount of savings. Yes, and I only did that for you, Jack, by the way. No one, no one else has that anywhere. <laughs> well, there you go, guys. Exclusivity. That's what being it a is. member gets you here. Membership it's does have its privileges at TSP. Yeah. And, and really, I do appreciate that, guys, because, I mean, when, when you guys told me you were doing that, I thought you well, initially you were going to do it for a special for the one interview. And you're like, no, that's permanent. So, uh, folks, remember that's available to you because, I mean, as I understand it, Bones, you're not even allowed to pack these bags because Amy's come up <laughs> with exactly the order that everything's supposed to go in and you do it wrong. Yeah, I do it. Oh, I do it completely wrong. He does. I am like. So He's banned from packing the bag. Because <laughs> I, I, I put every single item that could possibly leak or get wet yeah. in, in individual waterproof bags, and I make sure they're sealed really well. And there are just some things that he didn't feel needed to be put in bags, and I'm tired of telling him to put them in bags. He does not follow directions well. If I was a kid, his kindergarten teacher. not play well with others. Uh, no, See, this, well is, with this others. is where you've been suckered in. He knows how to pack the bag. 
It, this is a man trick. We just screw something up enough times until oh. the woman says, get away, you're not allowed to do it anymore, and then we go have a beer. All right, well, why don't you put Dorothy on the line, and I'll let her know your little secret, darling. And we, and we all know that we're all just here for the beer. Oh, and let's just mention, Dorothy will be taking our suture class next Sunday, and we're very excited to have her. Not Father's Day, the Sunday after. That's okay. I, I don't do Hallmark holidays anyway, so it would, it would be fine with me. But, yeah, you guys are coming here. Um, yes, I think the class is full, though, isn't it? I have five spots left. Okay. I have five spots left. It's Irving, California. Irving, Irving California. Irving, California. Irving, I just Texas. came from California. I'm sorry, Texas. <laughs> and um, we're having it in a, a private hotel room, so there's no distractions. There's no... No flies. Uh, no speakers, no flies, right? Hopefully. No flies. No speakers. No no vendors talking. Not a thousand people walking around. Around, so we can focus. And um, it's our first medical training course, so it's going to include um, teaching the students uh, how to take care of burns, how to take care of hemorrhaging, mm-hmm. uh, which is first before wound care. How to, uh, how to recognize abnormal lung sounds. Right. Vital or, signs. You know, pneumonia and things like that. Exactly. Uh, triage. We're going to go over the triage. Uh, they also learned the, the suturing and the stapling. Um, it's going to be um, action-packed and information-packed. It's going to be a, a new thing for us. So we're Their heads see. will be full when they leave. Yes. <laughs> My brain and is full. And it's got five seats, so if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, folks, you might want to get a hold of these folks, like, quick. And uh, you can go take that class with uh, Miss Survival Podcast, Dorothy. She'll be there for the class. She's real excited about it, too, guys. Oh, well, we're oh, excited yeah. to have her. We, you know, we've, we've seen each other at so many of these preparedness events. Um, it's really nice for her to be able to take it. Someday you'll take it, too, Jack. Yep. I will. <laughs> now, <laughs> probably won't have it on. We're meet with my life and my schedule. It probably won't be on a Sunday though. Sundays are Sundays are one of my bigger work days because I can actually get things done around here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. I come over while you're here. I mean, we we, we wanna, are. Yeah, excellent, excellent. You yep. can come hang yeah, out at Circa Homestead and meet the geese and. Uh, the, the the geese are growing up, man. The, the one of them, uh, first time I heard one of them hiss was last night. They uh, the new dog Charlie uh, has been getting a little bit obnoxious with them, and they've been afraid of him. And uh, at about three and a half weeks, they're big enough now. They're like, we don't have to take this crap. So he got a good old cobra <laughs> hiss out out of one of the geese. They'll probably be half grown by the time you guys are here. They grow so daggone fast. But wow. I'm looking forward to that. Um, just hit pause. And then um, on the book, now you guys you guys were doing a $5 off the book price on the first version of the book. So you guys are, are you guys going to keep doing that for the audience with this new version of the book? Only for your special members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All his members are special. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We were, we're very, very happy to yes. support your group. Yes, we are. So it'll be a five dollars off the new book, which again uh, is weighs two pounds and uh, is 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 information rich as it is uh, uh, full of pages. Um, so guys, I appreciate you being here, and I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Uh, I'll give you the final word here. Any final thoughts for folks just on preparedness or medical preparedness in general? Just oh simply, boy, that's a tough one. Just simply that we always have too much to say, Jack. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, my. My basic message is very simple that, you know, you've done, if you've listened to the Survival Podcast, you already have gotten your beans together, you've got, you've thought about 
a lot of the other issues that are related to preparedness. It's time for you to get medically prepared. You know, this is for your family. This is for your loved ones and, and people in your your group. Remember that it, it takes a community to thrive. That's right. I agree, darling. Good job. <laughs> Very cool, guys. I, I do appreciate you guys being here with us today. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for the support of the support brigade as well uh, with the discounts because those are both great. And, folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Shut